Welcome in, podcast listeners. Welcome back to the Under the Dome podcast. I am your host, Ben Belden. Extremely excited to be delivering this podcast to you tonight. I'm solo. Like I say, it when I'm solo, it's not because other usual hosts are in the doghouse. It's just that I wasn't really planning on doing this for very long. And then as I walked around and did chores around the house and you know drove around and did certain things today, I'm like, man, I really have a lot of Notre Dame thoughts that I just need to get out. And I need to get behind a microphone and I need to talk about them a little bit. So sort of just spur of the moment here, sat down in the old office and I'm going to start just kind of spewing some of the, of the things that I that I feel about this Notre Dame football team as I read stuff from others and um, and kind of react to some of the things that have happened. So we've got a little bit of news that we've got to talk about, and then you know we're going to um, get into the football game in a little bit. Maybe we'll talk about college football in general and just some of the observations that I made generally very quickly by the end of the podcast. So um, you know, a lot of college football was on this weekend. I watched a lot of it. I blocked out my entire Saturday to just do nothing except flip channels, and that's exactly what I did. It was great. So um, it was great in some regards, but we'll talk about that in, in a second. Before that happens, however, I want to make sure that I give a shout out to Electrosound. Um, Electrosound is, you know, they provided the microphone that I use for this podcast, a couple of audio cables, a little bit of equipment, a little bit of, uh, help, uh, brain power, I suppose. And they've made this podcast sound, uh, a lot better than it was before we brought them on, so let's put it that way. Um, so if you're looking for audio equipment, cables, microphones, renting, if you have a festival outside that you're doing, if you have a musical or a show or something along those lines, Electrosound is the, you know, they're the people you should call, especially if you are in the kind of the, I guess, the Ohio Valley area. So big thanks to the people at Electrosound for those types of things. So, okay, so Notre Dame and Louisville. Before I talk about that, I, I need to get something out of the way. I suppose um, not out of the way. I, I just don't want to. I don't want to get myself worked up. I suppose about what I'm about to talk about. But I just felt it would be remiss if I didn't mention it at all. Um, Notre Dame football is, you know, hopefully you've gathered over, you know, the years of listening to me talk behind this microphone, you know, over, you know, different named podcasts and different websites and all of this stuff. Um, hopefully you've gathered that Notre Dame football is important to me and it's important to my family. And it's not really just Notre Dame football. It's the university as a whole. Um, lots of Beldons went to the university of Notre Dame and some played football. And if you don't know, a a lot of Notre Dame's campus is made out of Belden brick, which is my family's business and all of that good stuff. So the ties between my family and Notre Dame are strong and significant. Let's put it that way. And another reason that they're strong and significant is because, you know, I became a Notre Dame football fan because I was born in Belden, but more specifically because that's really where I got to spend a lot of bonding time with my dad. So every time, and this is the second time since my dad passed that a Notre Dame football season has started. I've only been to campus, I think twice since my dad passed away, but both times I went, it was an emotional time because I just think of the times as a kid, you know, walking around campus with my dad and, um, I don't know. I, I miss my dad, obviously. And, and when Notre Dame football starts, it's just kind of a, it's an emotional time. It's a bittersweet time because I'm so excited to watch Notre Dame football. So excited to, um, I don't know, just have football back in general. Root for a university that I feel really strongly about. But then I also remember my dad, and then it's it's bittersweet memories. So 
I tweeted that out prior to kickoff, and I just have to give a shout out to. I mean, there are so many people that liked, retweeted. I mean, it was probably my most seen tweet. I have to imagine, um, and I thank people for that. A lot of people reached out, talked about loved ones that they've lost that were Notre Dame fans and how they feel the same way, or you know, um, you know, dads with Alzheimer's and or. You know, just all kinds of things. Um, and it was kind of emotional reading all of that stuff, and I tried to get back to everybody. And a lot of people, you know, reached out and simply just said, sorry for your loss and that type of thing. And I really appreciate that as well. Uh, so I just wanted to give a shout-out to that. I, I think that's what makes being a Notre Dame football fan so great is that I feel like most of us come to our come to Notre Dame football as part of a love for a university, as part of a, a legitimate family that we're a part of. And so that's a unique thing, I think. And um, I don't know. I, I just was really struck by that. I hope those of you that have lost someone that's a Notre Dame football fan who maybe feels similar to me are able to get comfort in the fact that, you know, Notre Dame football should hopefully bring back some good memories. And, you know, the memories of Notre Dame football in and of itself aren't always good, meaning, you know, sometimes the memories are agonizing, but, you know, maybe you agonize with someone that you really cared about and, and you really remember those times. I know that's how it is for me, and I hope that, um, you know, even if you've lost someone that loved Notre Dame with you and, and that type of thing, and that part hurts, hopefully it brings back good memories of them. So, Got my feelings there a little bit. Uh, let's move on to some football before <laughs> this turns into um, some sort of a, um, I, I don't know. I'm not trying to be Dr. Phil here, and I'm not trying to have my listeners be Dr. Phil for me. So that said, let's move on. Shout out to all the people that that, uh, that talked to me. Shout out to my dad. I know he was watching the game, but now let's talk about, like I say, the actual game. First of all, one of my biggest takeaways about this Notre Dame football is, Oh my gosh, we ne better never play on a Monday ever again. Okay, I was all right with the Sunday night thing with Texas a couple years back because I didn't have to work on Labor Day. Um, but please, please, for the love of all that is holy, could we never have a Notre Dame football game where there is a work day afterwards ever again? <clears throat> Unless maybe it's like the national championship or something, which often has occurred on a Monday. Like that I will not feel upset about. All right. Um, if that happens, I'm probably just taking the next day off anyway. Uh, but uh, th this this whole start to the Notre Dame football season, it just feels weird. And I just wrote down, this stinks. Because you're telling me that I don't get a Notre Dame football game on a Saturday for the first two weeks of the season. After the first game, I got to go to work the next day. I mean, I guess I could have taken the day off, but I started a new job, and I'm not just taking a day off just to sleep. That's a bad look. Um, so no more Notre Dame football games on Mondays, please, or any weekday, unless it's, like I say, the national championship game, in which case I will not complain whatsoever. Um, just been a weird start. I mean, it's hard to get, I mean, fired up about this Notre Dame season. I wanted Notre Dame so bad, and I wanted football so bad, and then I sat and I watched football all day Saturday. I'm like, this is weird knowing that there's not a Notre Dame game later today. There's not even one tomorrow as I sat there on Saturday. So, you know, I I get it, ESPN. You want to hate on Notre Dame, but you also want to put them in all of the, the, the time slots where everybody's going to watch them. So, I mean, pick your poison there, I suppose. But oh, hopefully I don't need to... I don't, I get well, I could get into a whole nother talk about ESPN. I almost got myself on a tangent there, but um, 
let's just not do that. Let's just save that for another day. All right, a little bit of news we got to get to um, today, and you know this is probably something. And legitimately, I'm an avid podcast listener when it comes to Notre Dame football. I listen to pretty much all the other ones, um, especially. I, I mean, I listen to basically one or two newsy ones, but I like to listen to the fan ones even even more because I think those tend to be more real. Um, so shout out to those of you that have fan type Notre Dame podcast as I do. Um, I. I, I, I don't know. I think we're in an interesting fraternity of people that have different views on Notre Dame football. And um, I don't know. So, okay. I'm really getting into my emotions this time. I got to stop. So probably I'm the only one that talked about, I'm going to really talk about this. I, I mean, people maybe have questioned it, but I, I'm probably the only one recording a podcast after this news actually broke. I legitimately don't know. Cause I haven't listened to the podcast. That's what I was trying to start to say earlier, but Early this afternoon, late this afternoon, it came out that Jafar Armstrong is going to be out for a significant period of time when, um, you know, he hurt himself on the on about like his third touch, whatever it was of the season, first drive of the season. Um, it was obvious there's a clip of him hitting the crossing route, catching the crossing route, getting hit out of bounds, getting up, grabbing, you know, the area of his groin where, you know, there's a groin pool or whatever the injury is. I'm no doctor. And so... Like I say, you know, I just said it. I'm no doctor. I'm not going to speculate necessarily about how long he's going to be out. Um, It's going to be a significant amount of time based off of what everybody else is saying. So I'm going to take their word for that. The bottom line is he's not going to play against Georgia. Um, I think that's pretty, pretty clear. And while I'm not real, real um, anxious about Jafar Armstrong specifically missing Georgia, I'm getting anxious about our lack of depth. Um, because we're now starting to have to depend on guys that, you know, are good at their role if they're the second or third guy. And now those guys are now becoming the first or second type of guy. I thought Tony Jones Jr., by the way, when, since we're talking about running backs, looked about as good as he's ever has in a Notre Dame uniform. Um, just looked a little bit more nimble than I, I, I remembered him. Um, just looked like a really good, well-rounded back, a good blend of strength and speed and a little bit of wiggle and man I, I was actually really impressed with Tony Jones so you know I I don't know I think Tony Jones is maybe a better pure running back than Jafar Armstrong but I was really anxious to to see Jafar and how his role would expand playing in the slot motioning into the backfield motion starting in the backfield motioning to the slot um, two back type sets that type of thing and I was really hoping hoping to see Jafar Armstrong transition into a role much the way that Notre Dame used to use like Theo Riddick and Sierra Wood and those types of guys who were, you know, quasi receivers playing running back and that type of thing. And now I don't get to see that. And so that's really my biggest concern is that I just feel like, you know, there were things that Notre Dame was going to do offensively with, uh, for instance, Cole Komet. And then he got hurt. Uh, and then Michael Young was going to add another dimension to the office, and then he he got hurt. Now I, I just feel like I have to wonder what's going on in Chip Long's head and how much he's just not able to use because he doesn't have those guys at his disposal. I, I don't know. Um, I, I thought it was encouraging to see Tommy Tremble come up with a couple big catches in the game at tight end. Uh, that was great. And, you know, you saw Lawrence Keyes with a nice catch over the middle where he had to come back across his body uh, on a kind of a slant pattern there. Um 
and it was thrown behind him, and he still came up with a, a catch. And you know, there was one where they threw a ball to Lawrence Keys, and he caught it at the line of scrimmage, and you're kind of like, oh, he's just gonna. I mean, this is gonna be a no gain, and he made a guy miss and made five yards out of it. I mean, there were encouraging things like that that you know make me think that you know the offense can sustain a few of these injuries, but it, like, I don't feel like they can get sustain many more. <laughs> Um, Cole Komet might be able to come back, uh, in the near future. I guess that's kind of something that, uh, you know, as this bye week happens, that, uh, we'll, we'll learn more about, I would hope. Um, doesn't sound like Michael Young's going to be ready by Georgia. Uh, I can't imagine that's the case, but you know, you never know. I'm no doctor. I am not, and I have no inside information, but, uh, and Jafar Armstrong certainly won't be there at all. So uh, the bottom line is this guys, I mean, Notre Dame is missing three of their top offensive players right now. And they might get one back before, like I say, before Georgia happens, um, maybe even before New Mexico. And the other two probably just aren't going to play. And so that's that's going to be a problem. Now, how much of a problem? I don't know. We'll, we'll sort of see. But anyway, in talking more about this game, transitioning just a little bit here, in talking more about this game, specifically, I, I can't say I'm real surprised. And if you follow me on Twitter, or if you've listened to me on this podcast before, I'm not particularly surprised with the final score. Um, I didn't, because I just forgot, um, participate in the slap the sign score prediction thing. And I, I generally am not great at those anyway. But honestly, if I was going to, if I had written down a score um, prediction. I, I would I would say it was going to be pretty close. I thought Notre Dame was going to be pushing 40, and they pretty well were. And I thought Louisville would score two or three times. I'm not saying I would have guessed 35 to 17, but I might have guessed 42 to 14, or I might have guessed, you know, one score on either side of both of those two teams' scores of what uh, of what they actually came up with. So it went about how I thought. I can't necessarily say that I thought, however, that Notre Dame was going to be down 14 to seven. Um. I thought if Notre Dame trailed, it was going to be a three to nothing, maybe a seven to nothing type of thing. They'd regroup and then they would lead the rest of the way. It's not really how it went went down. Um, and so, obviously, there was some co- cause for concern. But at the end of the day, you know, you have a quarterback who, first of all, I mean, his stats didn't actually end up all that awful. Um, you know, 14 of 19, just shy of 200 yards, no turn or no interceptions and uh, a touchdown. I mean, there have been worse quarterback games. And if we're talking about one of the worst games that it looked like Ian book has played in quite some time, and those are his stats and that's the result, then I guess we live with that. Um, I'm going to talk about Ian book a little bit later in the podcast. Um, but in the context of the fact that your quarterback, who you're really putting a lot of pressure on to make this offense go, he didn't play very well, and you still won the game by three scores. And you still put up 35. So, I don't know. I thought there was a lot wrong <laughs> with Notre Dame's offense, and they still put up 35 points. And they've got a bye week. They're going to be in school. These guys aren't going to go home because it's, it's a bye week that doesn't coincide with any type of a break. And so they've got some time to practice, figure these types of things out. I've not heard anything about Notre Dame's practice schedule this week, whether they're treating it like a normal game week, whether they're, uh, you know, this is sort of unprecedented territory for, in some regards because, like I say, Notre Dame usually schedules their bye week in conjunction with the university's fall break and players go home and that type of thing. That's not the case this time. So 
anyway, I mean, there's some time to figure some things out. There's going to be a lot of time that for to watch some film, which I really feel is like what Ian Book is going to have to do. Um, because I, I think all the physical tools are there. I think the understanding is there. I think that just seeing it from a different angle and not being gun-shy is going to be what's what's going to happen, what's going to make it happen for Ian Book. But like I say, this game went about how I thought it was going to go. I, I just I, – there's no preseason in college football. If Notre Dame had had a preseason tune-up against somebody, I think we're talking about something different. All across the land, you saw teams – you know. Not necessarily. I mean, Georgia didn't necessarily blow out Vanderbilt, maybe the way that some people thought that was going to happen. Um, Alabama and Duke tied 0-0 after the end of the first quarter. Now, I mean, the obvious argument there is that Alabama then beat the brakes off of them for three quarters after that. Um, but I would almost argue that after being tied 14-14 to after the end of the first quarter, I mean, Notre Dame finished the game then on a 21-2-3 run. After it looked like they couldn't get a stop on defense and they went down 14-7, to it was a 28-3 run into the game. I mean, that's pretty dominant. I mean, we wanted to see some dominance, and that was fairly dominant for Notre Dame. I mean, certainly offensive red flags, but, you know, there was a level of dominance there that Notre Dame displayed that they didn't necessarily display over the course of four quarters. Certainly, I'm not trying to say that this was a, the most dominant performance. Certainly, there have been better. But, you know, I, I, I just there, – there were a lot of good things out of Notre Dame. There were a lot of bad things out of Notre Dame. Um, the national media is going to continue to talk about how Notre Dame – isn't a college football playoff team, isn't a national championship team, should never be in the national championship or the college football playoff again. They're going to spout about these things. And to a certain extent, right now they're right. If Notre Dame goes and they play like that against Georgia, they're not going to win. Let's be honest. They're not going to win. It's not going to happen. But I don't necessarily expect Notre Dame to go and play like that against Georgia. I just don't. Um, I'm digressing a little bit. But let's circle back to this game just a little bit. And talk about some of my biggest takeaways my biggest takeaway about the Notre Dame offense is that they just need to achieve balance that's going to be the name of the game for this Notre Dame offense moving forward because here's what I saw first of all I thought the offensive line was tremendous on Monday night I thought the way that we saw guys pulling and trapping and blowing up linebackers and leading ball carriers in front of the play. I thought it was tremendous. I thought it was the best that Notre Dame has looked since, you know, we're talking McGlinchey and Nelson uh, a couple years back. I thought Tommy Kramer was good. He was uh, what I thought was the weak link of the offensive line um, last year. I thought that, um, you know, Patterson was pretty good at center since in his first start. Uh, and the other guys I didn't notice a whole lot, to be honest with you, and that's sometimes the best thing that you can say about an offensive lineman. Um, so like I said, I thought Notre Dame had running room. I thought that the offensive line looked agile and strong and all of that good stuff. Um, you might argue, well, okay, they were good at first, and then it sort of tailed off, and there were a couple plays. I mean, there were multiple plays in short yarded situations where Notre Dame did not get the first down and when they tried to run it. Here's what I'll have to say about that. Early on in the game, Notre Dame was able to run the ball on offense largely because Louisville was 
really pr- trying to respect the pass. And when there was the threat of a great passing game with Ian Book, Louisville did a tremendous job. Or I'm sorry, Notre Dame did a tremendous job of exploiting Louisville, exploiting those running lanes. But I, I can think of a play distinctly in the third quarter. I want to say it was the first Notre Dame drive of the third quarter um, where Notre Dame hit for four yards on first down. So it's second, six, they hit for four yards on four and a half yards on second down. So it's like third and a yard, yard and a half. And they run the ball right into the middle of the line and get stuffed. And everybody on Twitter is freaking out because, oh my goodness, they can't ever grind out the short yards and and that type of thing. Well, this is going to be a kind of a twofold talking point, but I tweeted this out at the time, and this was going to be something that sort of I take a look at in the bye week. I'm, I'm going to clip a few things and, and go to the Under the Dome YouTube channel and post these types of things. But there was a play where it was you know, an alignment where Notre Dame was in the shotgun with Tony Jones Jr. and five linemen, a tight end, three wide receivers. And before the snap, there are seven guys in the box, and as the ball gets snapped, the safety is coming in to be the eighth guy in the box. You had six Notre Dame defenders trying to block eight, and it just didn't work. It just doesn't work when all you have to do is fill gaps, and there aren't enough blockers. You, you can't put a hat on a hat and, and do that type of thing. What that does mean, though, is that Notre Dame had three wide receivers against three defensive backs for Louisville, and what needed to happen was that they needed to check out of that play get a guy like Chase Claypool who exploited one-on-one matchups and crossing routes and type things all night long. You need to get Chase Claypool one-on-one against a Louisville defender and throw a three-yard slant, uh, a go-get-it type of ball, a, a lob. I, I don't know. I don't care what you do, but you need to get Chase Claypool. You need to get slippery Chris Fink in a one-on-one matchup, and you need to, um, you, you need to get the first down that way. I mean, it, it's going to get... It's going to get the people that don't understand football riled up because it's third and one. You should be able to get one yard with the running game. Well, yeah, that's if you put are able to put a hat on a hat and and push. That's not necessarily going to be true when you're trying to block eight with six. It's a simple numbers game. And that's going to make me – I mean, this is going to – Ian Book needs to, to be the one to change that play. I mean – I think the biggest issue with Ian Book, and I wasn't going to talk about him till later, but I think it kind of goes in conjunction with what I'm talking about now. Ian Book looked a lot like the Ian Book from last year. Now, did he look a little bit tentative? Yes. But what, what did Ian Book do last year when he took over for Brandon Wimbush? He made the short, easy passes. He completed them with a high rate of efficiency. He didn't really push the ball downfield. He avoided the big mistake. And outside of a couple fumbles, uh, that's exactly who he was this year. But guess what? In 2019, in the second year of being a starter, that's not good enough. It's just not. And I don't need conservative Ian Book. All right? I need Ian Book that's going to rifle the ball downfield, that's going to take chances, that's going to extend a couple plays and, and let it loose. And, you know, if that means that once in a while there's sort of a big mistake, I'll live with it. Because college football, I mean, there are 
most games you play, you don't have to play a flawless game to win. I mean, how many, I mean, outside of playing Clemson and Alabama, is there a team on Notre Dame's schedule, Georgia maybe this year, that you have to play a flawless game to win? I don't think it, it just doesn't, college football isn't like that. You see, watch all these Pac-12 after dark games where, you know, you get Gus Johnson on Fox screaming. Uh, and it's because, oh my gosh, he threw an interception, or oh my gosh, there's a big play. Big plays are going to happen. Mistakes are going to get made. I need Ian Book to be a guy that pushes the envelope. And he just wasn't pushing the envelope, and I think that's what Brian Kelly was trying to allude to, you know, talking after the game, talking at halftime, even seeing clips from halftime where they need to take shots down the field. Now, here's the thing. I think that started to get better. There was one play, I mean, the play, the touchdown play to Tommy Tremble, tremendous throw by Ian Book, you know, going against the cover two from Louisville, running the four verticals play, um, all Ian Book has to do, and it's, I mean, it's a simple thing, but it's a, something that has to be done right, read the read the safety, whichever guy he goes to on that side of the field, you look him off, and then you throw it to the other guy, and so the safety went outside, I think Tremble was on the same side as Claypool, I could be wrong, but the safety went to the outside. Tremble got behind the linebacker. You place that ball in front of the safety and and behind the linebacker. It's a big catch. It's a touchdown. I don't remember how many yards, but simple play, perfectly executed. It was a play where he had to throw Tremble open a little bit, and by far that was Ian Book's best throw of the game. It was the only touchdown he threw through of the game. And outside of that, though, I didn't. I mean, Notre Dame didn't look really to push the ball down the field after that in the game. I think there were times where he was looking down the field, you know, in the game and just didn't pull the trigger. So, you know, I think that that confidence for me and Book was starting to get better, but it's kind of like the game ended before we could really get a good sample of what that's going to look like. And, and a lot of that was, you know, at that point they were up 14 um, Louisville got it to 28-17 and then Notre Dame tacked on one, you know, basically with the running game later on and uh and put that one away and then it was just kind of, you know, all downhill from there. So, you know, it's hard I, I think like I say the offense was starting to get better um balance-wise as the game went on, but it's sort of hard to tell because we just ran out of time. We didn't get to see it. Um so that's going to be something to look forward to when they play New Mexico. I'd expect Notre Dame to have a really deliberate, um, just trying to be balanced on offense. And so, like I say, yeah, balance is going to be key because you're going to be able, it looks like you're going to be able to run the ball as long as there's a threat that you're going to pass it efficiently and you're going to put it down the field. The same thing, go, it goes the opposite way too. You're going to be able to put the ball down the field if you're effective running the ball. It's just which do you do, use first? And I think Notre Dame's still sort of finding that identity. Defensively, let's talk about them real quickly. Um, you know, obviously it was concerning early on. It's like, holy moly, um, Louisville is just doing whatever they want. And they were. When you take into context that Louisville scored on their first two drives, and did not then score a touchdown the rest of the game, I'd say the defense played a pretty good game. You're going to win a lot of games if you hold the other team to 17 points. Now, Louisville's not going to be the best offensive team that Notre Dame plays. Um, you know, Michigan is... I liked how their offense looked in in limited, uh, limited watching of them against Middle Tennessee State. 
Georgia's going to run the ball. But here's the other thing. Uh, Louisville runs sort of a unique kind of offense. Uh, Jake Fromm is not going to be running the read option against Notre Dame. It's just not going to happen. It's not Georgia's game. Um, some of the misdirection things that Louisville was trying to do, not necessarily Georgia's game. What Georgia is going to be is the type of team that's just, we're bigger, faster, stronger than you. We're going to line up across the ball and we're going to push you around. And I think that type of mentality is actually going to play in better to what Notre Dame does defensively because they're going to be able to load up on the line of scrimmage against Georgia, bring Alohi Gilman down in there, bring Kyle Hamilton down in there, bring um, Jalen Elliott down in there, and they're going to force Jake Fromm to beat them, I think. And I don't I want to get into a Georgia preview now, but if there was something that was tremendous about Notre Dame's defense, I thought it was their pass coverage. I mean, they were all over the place breaking up passes. Uh, I, I thought Kyle Hamilton looked tremendous instinctually in the in the time that he got. I think he got 26 snaps, I read. And of those 26 snaps, it seemed like he was around the football every time, especially in the passing game. Um, so I, I think Notre Dame's going to be all right. Um you know, some of that misdirection read option type stuff is difficult to defend, difficult to adjust to. It's kind of the same phenomenon as, you know, when you play Navy, I mean, they're going to get a couple on you uh, because they just do stuff differently than other teams. And and I think Scott Satterfield's a good creative offensive coach and found some ways to exploit Notre Dame. Notre Dame didn't necessarily know what to expect, but adjusted to it beautifully. Like I say, two touchdowns on the first two possessions, three points the rest of the game. So, I don't know. Um, looking at the linebackers, which is going to be a big topic of conversation moving forward, I legitimately, and this was my own observation, uh, and I almost tweeted this out, and ironically, as I was typing the tweet, he did, he made a boo-boo, but I thought that Drew White was the best Notre Dame linebacker by far on Monday night. True freshman Drew White, Drew White that is. Um, you know, I thought he played pretty with reckless abandon i thought he looked good instinctually uh right as i was typing out a tweet that drew white was playing really well he missed a tackle in the flat that allowed a louisville runner to go for like 37 yards on a third down i mean outside of that missed tackle though i thought he was tremendous um i saw other people talking about and posting videos of shane simon like I say, I didn't necessarily notice Shane Simon when I watched it live. However, you know, when you watch some of the film on him, some of the clips that are going around Twitter, um, he was kind of in the same ballpark as Drew White. And I think those two were the best guys. Asmar Bilal did not play well. I'm not going to sit here and rag on Asmar Bilal, but he did not play well, and I'm just going to leave it there, um, which is disappointing because he's the most experienced guy. I, I thought that moving him from rover to inside was going to be good for him. I'm not really sure it is because he's just closer to the action now, not ready to react quite as quickly as maybe you have to at the Rover, and it just didn't work for Asmar Bilal. So I don't expect to see him – I would expect to see Asmar Bilal getting fewer and fewer snaps moving forward, but I don't know. I'm not a Notre Dame football coach. Um, I, I – so I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to belabor this point. Um, I think Notre Dame is okay. We'll we'll learn more about them against New Mexico. I don't like having a bye week this week. I want to get them back out on the field and play again. I do think they need to get healthy, however. But 
when you watch Notre Dame against New Mexico, I'd expect to see a better well-rounded offense and for us to feel a lot better about what's going to happen when Notre Dame heads on down to Athens, Georgia here in, you know, a few weeks, a little less than three weeks. So, um, that's really all I got. I rambled for about 33 minutes there. I was going to talk about a little bit of uh, week one discussion. I'll, I'll give some cliff notes because I don't want to take this, make this take forever. Um, I thought Georgia looked pretty good. Their offensive line concerns me a little bit. They're very large and pretty good, and they have good running backs. I didn't think Georgia passed the ball extremely well, and they have some inexperienced receivers, um, as we've kind of talked about a little bit. So if there's one thing Notre Dame's maybe going to be able to exploit against Georgia is stacking the box and trying to make those receivers make one-on-one plays against Notre Dame defensive backs that I thought looked really good on uh, on Monday. Um, Michigan, you know, uh, I watched a good amount of Michigan, Middle Tennessee State. I thought that, uh, you know, they had a similar type of showing as Notre Dame did. Um, not a ton to glean. Their their new offense looks interesting. I think it's a little gimmicky at times, when especially when you're putting Shea Patterson and the McCaffrey kid out there at the same time. thought that was a little bit weird when they're running jet sweeps to a backup quarterback that isn't necessarily your fast backup quarterback, but hey, you know, it's fine. Um, but but they're going to be an interesting team. I don't think they're going to be great defensively, so um, that could be a high-scoring one. Uh, who else did I watch? My goodness, what in the world is Lane Kiffin doing at Florida Atlantic? I mean, I watched, living in Ohio and living an hour east of Columbus, you know, Ohio State has obvious intrigue. And I watched the first quarter of that Ohio State-Florida Atlantic game before I just had to turn it off because it was such bad football played by Florida Atlantic. You know, there are people talking and raving about Justin Fields. Well, okay, if you watch that game, the first touchdown, Justin Fields, read option, nobody touches him. So uh, I posture that I probably, it was like a 50-yard run, I probably could have picked up at least 30, okay? Um, I'm So Justin Fields scored a touchdown because he made the right read, Woohoo! And he's fast. Next touchdown, uh, Ohio State threw thirty yarder or so. Literally nobody around the receiver who caught it. It was a busted coverage by Florida Atlantic. Now you might credit a good play design and an accurate pass, but I'm telling you, literally nobody within twenty yards of the guy who just caught the ball and like walked into the end zone. Same thing happens with the third touchdown. And before you know it, you're six minutes in the game. Florida Atlantic has barely breathed on somebody. And it's 21 to nothing Ohio State. And I honestly didn't watch any of the rest of it, but I hear it didn't go real well for Ohio State. So really kind of an interesting thing going on there as well. Stanford and Northwestern was one of the worst football games I've I've seen. Um, as I watched Stanford and Northwestern, um, if you watch this game, you know that KJ Costello, Stanford's quarterback, got banged up right before halftime. That had a lot to do with it, but I mean it was seven to nothing when it happened, and it ended up seventeen to seven. Uh, Northwestern had every opportunity in the world to win this football game and they're fumbling the ball. They're missing field goals. They're getting chippy penalties that put Stanford in field goal range with two seconds left in the half, just a bad game. And what it actually felt like is a game that I attended at Notre Dame stadium. Um, Tommy Reese was, got hurt in, in this game. It was Notre Dame, Michigan. And then it was that Notre Dame, Michigan game that ended 13 to six. And we had to watch a whole second half of Andrew Hendricks try to just not implode the Notre Dame offense. Uh, that's what this one felt like. It just felt like Stanford was trying to get out of there and, and hold hold on for dear life. I thought the Stanford offensive line that they tried to 
talk about was going to be better than the aberration of last year did not look that good. And they also lost, uh, you know, a first round pick on the offensive line whose name evades me at the moment. Uh, but it was announced that, you know, he tore his ACL JT Daniels quarterback at USC tore his ACL as well. Um, not good for either Stanford or USC who I believe play each other on Saturday. Um, and as far as interesting games go, I, I was, I think that obviously the most interesting game, Auburn and Oregon, I watched a good bit of that, but didn't necessarily care so much about it because I was trying to focus more on Notre Dame opponents and, and that type of thing and Ohio State just because I live in Ohio. So I don't know. Interesting stuff from around college football. I'm eager to get some more games. There was only one game where ranked opponents played. So, you know, ranked teams were 24-1 and one, um, over – the weekend, which is obviously what you would kind of expect earlier on. It's going to be interesting to see some of these ranked games happen uh, in the near future here. So like I say, I've rambled on for long enough. Um, Make sure that you check out the under the dome podcast all over the internet. Uh, We're pretty much everywhere that you could ever want a podcast to be. So um, just go there and search under the dome and look for our logo, which is a, picture of the Notre Dame Golden Dome and you will find us. Make sure you like and subscribe and comment and do all of that stuff. Um, go to the YouTube channel. Uh, if you go to YouTube and you search under the dome, you should find it fairly easily. Um, under the dome, Notre Dame football, whatever. You can always find the links to all of those things. If you go to the under the dome Twitter account, which like I say is at under the dome underscore ND, there's a link there. That link takes you to a landing spot for all of the links. So if you need help finding the, uh, under the dome YouTube channel. That might be the way for you to go. I also tweet those links frequently. So check out my Twitter, check out, you know, whatever, uh, if you, you'll be able to find us, it's 2019, you know, do a couple searches and you'll get it. Um, so, uh, but anyway, go check out the YouTube channel because and subscribe because we're going to put up some video content there. I'm already kind of working on clipping out a couple clips from Louisville and, and doing some of those types of things. We're going to do more of that moving forward as well after I kind of get the hang of it a little bit. And so what I also hope to do is have some of uh, my colleagues give some quick hitter updates, five-minute videos where they give updates about things like recruiting and things like that. So um, we're going to try to do some of that stuff moving forward. So make sure you check out the YouTube channel, like I say. Uh, Check us out all over the web, Twitter, all of that stuff, slapthesign.com. Thank you to all of you who listened for the duration of this podcast, which was a nice 40-minute ramble out of me. And uh, make sure you're coming back next time, telling a friend and helping us grow this thing. We really appreciate it. So thanks for listening. And like I say, until next time, go Irish. Go Irish.